Welcome to All Along the Wasatch, a public affairs program produced by Bonneville Salt Lake City. If you would like to submit a request to be on the show, please email mparsons at ksl.com. Now, here's the host of All Along the Wasatch, Mike Parsons. My guest today is from the Alliance for Better Utah. It is Jeff Merchant, who is executive director. Thank you so much for being here. Absolutely. Glad to be here. The website is betterutah.org. And I thought since we are just wrapping up or just wrapped up the legislative session uh, to have someone like you on to kind of talk about uh, at least your view of how the legislative session went. Maybe you could just give us the quick elevator speech of what Alliance for a Better Utah is, when was it formed, by whom and why? Sure. So the Alliance for a Better Utah is an organization that was created about 15 years ago, just a little bit less than that, uh, to really focus on government accountability and uh, to help voters to better understand not only the politics that are going on in Utah, but the politicians who are pushing those politics forward. So we really cut our teeth on um, things like the uh, John Swallow um, uh, AG uh, debacle, I think Mm -hmm. is what I would call it, uh, which was kind of a mess, uh, and uh, other things like that. And then we've continued that work uh, all the way through today, focused primarily on a little bit more left-of-center progressive issues, just depends on what the issue is. But uh, yeah, we do a whole lot of different things. Um, A lot of the work that we do is about coalition building Hmm. and uh, bringing people together uh, and and working on these issues up up at Capitol Hill. And then I'm always curious about how people end up where they are. So maybe give us a little bit of your background, your experience, and and how did you come to be in this position? Yeah, so uh, I uh, was born and raised here in Utah, Uh, went to high school here, college here. Um, Right after finishing college, I started working on Jim Matheson's first political campaign and uh, worked in Washington, D.C. for him after he won that first race all the way back in 2000. It's a long time ago now. (laughs) But um, after that, I went to law school, did a few other things in the, the private sector, worked for government for a while. And in 2019, I ran for and won the uh, chairmanship of the Utah Democratic Party. So I was the chair of the Democratic Party for several years and um, left. And just this last year, started working for Alliance for Better Utah. Mm. So I've been involved in progressive politics for a long time. It's something that I enjoy. I I love politics generally. But uh, also have a particular uh, penchant for trying to help Utah uh, become a better place. Now, Utah, of course, is a very red state. We uh, are definitely heavy Republican in this state. And I'm sure in blue states, there are organizations like yours on the conservative side that are doing much the same kind of work. Why is it important, do you think, to have an organization like yours to sort of balance out how heavily Republican the state is? Yeah, I think that um, to be to be really frank with you, Mike, uh, the imbalance that we see in a lot of places, Utah is not the only one. Uh, imbalance exists all mm-hmm. over our country, and as we become more and more tribal, uh, politically in particular, I think that having a voice to remind people that there are other perspectives is always important. I think that the best states are the states where there is a true marketplace of ideas, where people are forced to talk and work issues out. 
and states like Utah, just like liberal states that don't have that have the same problems, mm-hmm. I think that we have uh, are are not healthy democracies. A healthy democracy is one where people have to come together and have to find a way to work out differences. And we don't really see that in Utah. That might happen behind the scenes at the Republican caucus meetings that none of us are allowed to go into, but we're not seeing that at a broader level. And you know, in a state like Utah, where Democrats tend to win about 30 percent, that's not a huge majority. That's obviously not a majority, right? Right. But it's not an insignificant number sure. of people either, right? Sure. 30 percent of people is a lot of people. And that is quite an interesting perspective to be left out on a lot of issues. And I think that you see this in other places. You know, it's funny. Um, when I was the chair of the Utah Democratic Party, I had a good friend who was the chair of the Hawaii um, Democratic Party. And in Hawaii, they have the opposite uh, situation that we do. I think, mm-hmm. that they, I think they may have one state senator who's a Republican. Mm-hmm. And so that's even worse than we've got, right? <laughs> but it was interesting to see how we had a lot of the same problems, uh, mm-hmm. a lot of the same issues, whether it was about fundraising or getting people to come together and, and being willing to talk. Uh, when you have imbalance, uh, it creates problems. And, and part of what I think that the Alliance for a Better Utah is all about is holding people accountable when they don't take that balance seriously. And you, I see that across the political spectrum, not just locally, but nationally, that there just isn't that compromise and building coalition thing anymore. That idea is kind of gone. Is How do we get back from that? How do we get back to the point where we were 20, 30 years ago when, you know, representatives and senators would actually speak to the other side and they would compromise and come up with a solution? It just does I don't see that anymore. Well, you're exactly right. Uh, Polling and research uh, reaffirms that. So, you know, I don't know if you're reading stuff or if that's your gut, but your gut is right. Both, I think, yeah. yeah. And and I think that, you know, for a lot of folks like you and like me, uh, that balance becomes important because um, when you don't have that and when you have such hardline views – you really can't move forward. We're seeing that in the U.S. House right now Mm -hmm. where they're at a complete deadlock because people are no longer willing to look at what is in the best interest of everyone. They're only interested in what they think moral right is. And I'm all for morality and I'm all for doing what's morally right. But I do sometimes wonder if, you know, tax policy is really about morality as much as it is about setting priorities and then moving forward with those priorities. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you don't always get what you want, right? Um, Clearly, none of these legislators are married because those of us who are married know that (laughs) you have to create compromise in in any relationship, right? If you've got children, you have to figure out ways to work with people who have a different perspective than you. And they don't do that. I've kind of always thought that, you know, if, if, if a bill passes or really just basically the idea that if we have come up with a plan for something, if both sides are kind of unhappy about it, that's probably the right solution. If one side's unhappy and the other one got everything they wanted, regardless of which side you're talking about, I don't think it's good policy. Yeah. And, and I think that the last thing you said is, is the most important is that it's probably not good policy. Yeah. Right. It's probably not good policy, both because you probably shouldn't have something where one guy gets everything that he wants and everybody else gets nothing. But it's also bad policy in the sense that over the course of time, uh, I think most of the time, these bills that don't take anybody else's perspective into account are missing things. Mm-hmm. And then you have to go back and you have to fix it. So over your almost 15 years as an organization, what do you consider some of your biggest victories? Well, I think that certainly we did a lot of work on uh, the John Swallow and Mark Shirtliff issues. Remember, this is many years ago. 
when we had not one but two attorney generals who uh, were engaged in behavior that I think probably wasn't the best type of behavior for a public official to uh, have engaged in. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, being perfectly honest, neither of them were prosecuted for um, what they did in the end. Uh, They neither of them, uh, you know, were found to have done any wrongdoing that would have led to, uh, you know, criminal time or anything like that. But the reality is, is that the activities that they were engaged in were certainly uh, not what most of us would have viewed as. Uh, as appropriate, right, as a public mm-hmm. officials. So we did a lot of work on that. And part of what we do as an organization is you know, I oftentimes call us a, a communications hub. The type of work that we do is getting information out to the public, helping them understand what that is, and then trying to help them to, to do something about it. Mm-hmm. Another example just recently has been the situation with uh, Natalie Klein. Uh, mm, you know, yeah. Natalie Klein um, put this picture up on, I think it was Facebook, and uh, of a of a young basketball player and made some uh, insinuations that were really inappropriate, particularly for somebody who is a member of the school board. And we did the same kind of thing. Now, uh, you know, in this case, we put a petition together to give to the legislators to ask that she be removed. I think within a couple of days, we had 3,000 people that signed Mm. that thing. Uh, So not an insignificant number of folks. This is some of the work that we do. A lot of the other work that we do is a little bit more behind the scenes. We're Mm -hmm. up uh, every day. I think that we've spent about 1,000 man hours up at the legislature this year uh, testifying on bills, tracking bills. Um, you know, we have a bill tracker that you can go to look at what all these where these different bills are in the process. And then after the session, we will put out what we call our progress report. And that progress report ranks every single one of our legislators on the priorities that most Utahns have and that we uh, we feel like uh, politicians should be held accountable for either supporting or not supporting. Lots of great tools on the website. You mentioned the bill tracker. I just found that. And it shows you whether your organization supports or opposes it, what the bill is, who sponsored it, what type of it is, and then you can click and get more details. The other thing that um, I found real handy is I could just enter my address, my home address, and it shows me who my representatives are. Yeah. And that's all at betterutah.org. So this current legislative session, what were what were the big issues? Uh, maybe some wins and losses. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting because a lot sometimes – you get through a session and there seems to be kind of a theme. Um, I haven't mm. quite seen a theme mm. this year. Uh, I've seen um, behavior that is very interesting uh, legislative behavior that uh, concerns me. I think it concerns a lot of other people. Uh, certainly the two bills that came out and were passed within the first few days of the session, the bill on diversity, um, you know, equity and inclusion, the DEI bill, and then also the trans uh, bathroom bill, um, the interesting thing about both of those were that we didn't see any language. We didn't know what was going on. We didn't know what the legislation was actually going to do. And then they dropped it, got it through both committees, got it through both uh, the House and the Senate, and got it to the governor's desk really, really fast. And I think that that's a pattern. We saw that last year. We saw it again this year with the kind of highly controversial uh, social bills that mm-hmm. um, kind of culture war type bills. Right. I think we're going to continue to see that uh, as we move forward into future legislative sessions. I think that's very, very um, unhealthy. Uh, as a democracy, I think the more time you spend with something, the better off the legislation gets, right? It shouldn't be swift. 
should not be swift, should not be something where no one sees the language and then it gets passed really fast. So I think that that's something that we're going to have to just kind of get used to. I think that last year uh, during the session, the Republican leadership realized, oh, if we do this quick, it's very hard for people to kind of um, get coalitions together, to get people to the Hill, to get talking about it. And if we do it as swiftly as we can, uh, then we might avoid some of that, right? Now, my personal view is that, that that effort, particularly on the trans bill, is what directly led to what happened with Natalie Klein. Mm. But, you know, I think that, that that's, a, that's a scary prospect. Look, there were a number of bills, though, that came up that I think uh, are, are victories. There were a, at least one, if not two bills, that directly would have impacted people's ability to vote at home. Um, you know, almost essentially eliminate vote by mail. Uh, those failed. Uh, there was a bill that would have increased the threshold for passing certain initiatives, you know, publicly led initiatives where everybody votes on them from 50% to 60%. Mm. That did not uh, prevail this time. And then we just found out just today that ranked choice voting, uh, which was a pilot program that was supposed to go for about another year and a half. We'll see if it passes again. But uh, that ranked choice voting almost uh, got eliminated early. Uh, this is where cities um, can essentially buy in. Salt Lake City's done this. Sandy's done this. A number of other communities have where instead of just voting for one candidate, you rank your candidates. Mm-hmm. So you can say, I like this guy the most. I like this person the second. I like this person the third and fourth. And uh, we just found out that that failed in a Senate mm-hmm. committee. So we have seen some, I would call these kind of more democracy bills, uh, which is something that the Alliance for a Better Utah focuses particularly on. And a number of those failed. So those are all big victories. How is your organization funded? Where do you get your money? We are entirely um, privately funded through donations, and we are a a major uh, solicitor of uh, funds from everyday Utahns. Mm. So a lot of our money comes from uh, people that are interested in the, the work that we do. And we directly ask them for funding. And we get donations anywhere from $5 to thousands of dollars. Just depends on the individual and where they're at at the moment or or where they're at socioeconomically. But we um, are grateful for and, uh, and support uh, the support that all these folks give us. So we have hundreds of donors um, at all different levels. You've also got some other kind of sub-organizations, things that you work on, like the Better Utah Institute. Mm -hmm. What is that? Yeah, so the Better Utah Institute is, uh, we are technically, Alliance for Better Utah is technically a 501c4 organization. That's a nonprofit organization that's allowed to engage in political activities. A 501c3 organization is not allowed to do that. Um, We have a 501c3 organization that focuses primarily on uh, voter engagement, outreach, and education. Mm. So uh, some of the work that we do at the legislature, some of the work that we do outside of the legislature as well, are educational-based, is educational-based work only. Great example of that is that uh, most years we hold a debate series where we get Republicans and Democrats or uh, in in years where we're talking about city uh, officials that are nonpartisan. Uh, we get them together to uh, to debate out the issues and we help manage that and, and do that kind of work. So we do a lot of voter engagement work through the Better Utah Institute. You mentioned your progress report that will be coming out in a couple of weeks. And then tell us about Better Utah on the Hill. Yeah. So Better Utah on the Hill is the work that we do um, of the legislature all year long. Uh, That means that we track things and follow things um, regardless of the time of year that they are, and we engage with legislators 
uh, throughout the year on those things. Um, you know, the legislature uh, meets for the 45 days at the beginning of the year, but then they also have interim. And uh, the, during their interim sessions, they're talking about bills and, and doing other work. So we're up there all the time doing all sorts of work, uh, trying to uh, remind legislators that there is a significant voice that they may not be listening to if mm-hmm. they're not careful. I'm looking at your bill tracker and, you know, it's got either green that your organization supports it or red that you don't support it. And there's more green than red, which maybe would surprise some people that coming from a progressive organization, you're actually supporting more than you're opposing. Yeah. Yeah. Look, there are a lot of good ideas out there. There are a lot of great bills out there. And um, as far as we're concerned, it doesn't matter if it's a Republican or if it's a Democrat. Uh, if those are ideas that need to be uh, brought forth and, and are designed to help people in Utah, then we're all for them. And so, yeah, there are, there are a lot of great ideas that are out there. The bigger question isn't whether we support them or not. The bigger question, right, is whether they end up getting passed. Right, right. And um, I think that, as you'll see, a lot of those don't end up getting passed, mm. but some of them do. Or, you know, some of them end up getting defeated that that are in that red category. So, um, you know, we take any victory that we can get, obviously. And uh, this has been a tough, uh, a tough year for for a lot of Utahns. And uh, we commiserate with those folks who, who had a particularly bad session. But uh, we're also always looking forward to the next time mm-hmm. when we hopefully can have more people that uh, are open minded and willing to listen to to what we think are good ideas. I think in Utah, we have kind of a weird situation with our senators. We have Mike Lee, who's probably, I don't know if he's the most conservative senator in the U.S., but he's, he's way over there on the right. And then we have Mitt Romney, who is probably one of the most moderate Republicans in the Senate. With Mitt not running again, who's going to fill that, that slot? Is it going to be another Mike Lee, or is there another Mitt Romney out there that we could maybe hope for? Yeah, I think that uh, that's a fascinating question. <laughs> I am... The I always tell people this because they always ask. I am the world's worst prognosticator. <laughs> okay. Um, so whatever I say, I take with a grain of salt. But I do think that uh, I think that you know there are a lot of people running for that slot. Um, a lot of people feel like um, Representative Curtis is a is a great in a great spot uh, to win that race. I think that that's probably relatively accurate, but. You know, we've seen these we've seen these races before and we've seen real upsets. I mean, you know, look, Mike Lee is there because of an upset and nobody would have ever thought that Bob Bennett all those years ago would have lost that seat. And and Bob Bennett, I think, uh, particularly in light of of some of the people that we have in the U.S. uh, Congress now was uh, an extreme moderate. And, uh, you know, as a as a progressive, I really kind of wish he was still around, you know, but Look, at the end of the day, Utah is a great example of this kind of almost, uh, for lack of a better way of putting it, almost this bipolar approach that we're taking to politics, right? You know, I don't know if I would describe Mitt Romney as a moderate so much as I would describe him as pragmatic and as uh, someone who um, is actually a true constitutionalist uh, before he is a Republican, you know, which is ironic given that, you know, Mike Lee is the one that's always talking about the Constitution and how he seems to understand it so well. And, you know, Mitt Romney is really doing a lot of work to try and bring people together. And I think that that's why he's really respected mm-hmm. by by a lot of people. Yeah. And um, hopefully we'll have somebody else who's willing to do that. You know, but bigger picture, I just don't see people in the middle. It's it's becoming more and more polarized where yeah. there's just there's nobody in the middle. <laughs> Almost everybody's all the way left or all the way right. And I don't think most people 
are politically all the way left or all the way right. I think I yeah. think there's a majority of us that are probably somewhere in between. Yeah, I would say that you're absolutely right. I'd say maybe there's 2% of issues that we don't agree on. Right, right. And 98% of the issues we do agree on. And yet our politicians would make it seem like there's 2% of issues that we agree on and that we disagree on 98% of issues. Part of that, Mike, is a structural issue. Um, you know, we have built a system in which there are only two parties. And if you talk to um, most people in the Republican Party or the Democratic Party who are thoughtfully looking at these kind of behemoths, right, they will tell you there are four or five parties within each of those parties, mm. right? Like you might have some people that are legitimately fascists in the Republican Party and legitimately communists in the Democratic Party, but you also have people that, you know, are business-minded Republicans or business-minded Democrats or, you know, socially liberal Republicans or socially conservative Democrats. And so you have this huge array of people that are kind of being forced into these little boxes. Mm -hmm. And the real problem with that is that when you combine that with the type of caucus and primary system that we have in places like Utah, the people that win tend to be the most extreme. Mm -hmm. How do we fix that? Well, I think that there are a couple of things that we can do. I mean, for one, I think that uh, we really need to try and figure out a way to help um, smaller parties become more vibrant. Uh, you know, I think that the reality is, is that a two-party system really, really is starting to strain the entire system, mm -hmm. right? So, you know, I mean, uh, I, I, you you said it perfectly when you said that we've got these two people, we've got Mike Lee on one end and we've got Mitt Romney on another end. I would argue if we were in Europe, if we were in any parliamentary system anywhere else in the world, uh, they wouldn't be in the same political party. They'd yeah. just be in different parties. Right, right. And that would be okay. They could still come together and, and say, you know, look, in terms of what we do with a general budget, in terms of what we do on, on big global international things or on national security, we're on the same side. But, you know, when it comes to these smaller issues, uh, we go our party's way um, or our individual way. And, and so I think that's really one thing we can do. Another thing that we could probably do is um, this is a little more controversial. I, I got in trouble with somebody the other day for suggesting this, but I think that we probably ought to turn to something like more of an open primary system um, or a jungle primary, even like they've got in California or in Alaska, where everybody runs together, hmm. you know, yeah. and then you do a ranked choice. So I might not vote for a Republican as my first or even my second choice. But if I'm voting for a moderate Republican for my third choice, my voice still has a little yeah, bit yeah. of influence and it prevents those extremists from getting elected. And the same thing would happen on the, the Democratic side. The reality, Mike, is that we've got to have people that are willing to work together mm -hmm. instead of people who feel like they are so right that by compromising, they're almost compromising, you know, religious ideals or or these these like basic fundamental viewpoints. We're a country that was created on compromise. Right. And it won't it doesn't work if you don't compromise. Yeah. I mean if if your goal is just keeping tracks of wins and losses and not really thinking about what's best for the people I represent. It's a whole different game. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm a political junkie. My kids ask me questions all the time. They're, they're in their twenties and they, they get kind of bummed out. Yeah. Um, and, and especially my 22 year old daughter, she's just like, I don't think I want to be involved with this at all. Cause it's just so messed up. Yeah. And that's sad. I think that I think that young people are are particularly uh, disenfranchised right now, and you know these younger folks they're not like the generations before them where they've been willing to put up with kind of the hypocrisy mm -hmm. and and all of that. 
you know, my kids are the same way. They look at this stuff and they're like, why are you even involved? <laughs> this is a joke, you know? I think this is also part of the reason why in the, the I think it was Pew just put out a, a new poll about, a global poll about uh, democracy and authoritarianism and all of that. And, and people's viewpoint of authoritarianism, authoritarianism, we're talking about like one man rule, yeah. um, is becoming more popular, yeah. not just in the United States, but here right. too, internationally. And democracies, while still uh, people like the idea of democracy, uh, it's going down in popularity. Hmm. Uh, I think that that's an indicator that younger folks are recognizing the limits of, of democracy. And, and here's the reality. I mean, I'm, I'm a democracy guy. I think that that's absolutely the way that we should go. But democracy is its own worst enemy, right? Because we're open, we're free, we believe in talking about things, mm. we believe in disagreeing, um, and you don't see that in China, and you don't see that in in Russia, which gives the perception, perception only in my mind, but perception that they're more stable areas because there is no dissent. People aren't given the choice to dissent, and when right. they do, you see what happens to somebody like um, Mr. Navalny right. in Russia, who who you know ultimately sacrifices their life to try and defend democracy. Well, it's a good conversation, and we could go a lot deeper for sure. Um, I appreciate you coming on the show and explaining what your organization does. How, do, how can people get involved with your organization? Absolutely. They can get involved by going to our website.